KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. You know, when I kind of took this career path, people that are close to me, friends, family, nobody was surprised. <laughs> they, they said, well, Richard, you've been coaching since middle school. Like, whether it be basketball, soccer, whatever the sport was, like, I've always kind of taken on that role of, of being like a coach or being kind of like that right-hand man to a coach. And I've just kind of always kind of seen the game from that perspective. And our guest this week, Richard Carrington, he was recently named the new head men's lacrosse coach at Haverford College. Richard, thanks so much for coming in studio. Oh, Matt, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So I know we were talking off the air as we're recording this near the end of July. You are still, life's a whirlwind just getting into the position and moving down to the area. So why was this the right job for you at the right time. You've got a long, successful career in college lacrosse. Why was Haverford right for you? Uh, for multiple reasons, Matt. Uh, I think that you know when we look at the surface level, you know Haverford College has everything to offer that I was looking for in an institution. Uh, when we talk about the student experience and and uh, for that, you know, really kind of just talking with some alums that, that all had great things to say about the place. And uh, I actually live in the area about uh, about 15 years ago and I was coaching at Chestnut Hill College. So uh, some familiarity with the place. And um, and, and at that time, uh, you know, Haverford was a, was a top 10 program in the country uh, for for uh, Division three men's lacrosse. And, uh, and then it's certainly amongst one of the best uh, liberal arts institutions in the country for academics. So uh, again, just in talking with some of the alums, you know, they, they really wanted to kind of see it get back uh, to that level of play. And uh, that was music to my ears, and especially having already seen it previously, been at that level. I know it wasn't something that was just in theory. I've, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it actually executed. When we talk about you know the location, uh, most high academic liberal arts institutions are, are not located you know minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, you know most of them are in a you know more rural setting, which is which is great. But at the same time, when you have access to it to a city as big and as and as uh. I guess as boisterous as, as Philadelphia is with all that it has to offer, it's it's really, really tough to kind of like turn that an opportunity like that down. And then, of course, when we talk about the uh, the outcomes, um, I really look at, you know, return on investment when it comes to college. Um, you know, right now, I think most people, most families should be looking at uh, at return on investment um, as it pertains to, you know, to the rising cost of higher education. And uh, when you look at, again, outcomes and where Haverford graduates end up. They're just incredible places all over the world. I actually, I just uh, last week speaking with an alum uh, who's based in Tokyo. But but again, we have them all over the world and um, and and every profession you can think of. Uh, that's kind of the surface level as to as to why and why now. But um, I think at a more personal level, uh, again, you know, the student experience is something that's that's personally important to me. I, I like to know that the students where I'm working are, are generally happy to be there, uh, regardless of, of the uh, the element of lacrosse. Uh, you know, the other piece being that, you know, Haverford is very distinctive in terms of the autonomy it grants its students. Um, the, uh, the the honor code that we have at Haverford is a little bit unique in that it's really the, the students that are editing that from year to year. They're managing that, that body of work. It's, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, faculty and staff involvement 
movement in that, uh, and the students are also holding each other accountable to uh, you know to the words that are that are in that that honor code. And uh, again, that that theme of student agency is something that again resonates with me because that's really my coaching style, and that I, I like input and and I like and I, I actually require collaboration. So I love to be surrounded by you know by student athletes that are actually vested in in what they're doing and, and that work. And um, if it's just me kind of dictating to you know to my players what we're going to do, that's just it's just it's just not great for for anybody. At least it's not a great experience for me. But when we have that you know great discussion, um, I feel like it's much easier for me to create buy-in. Um, and then also I, I get great ideas from them. Again, we're we're, we're coaching in Haverford now. We're going to be and, and previous to this uh, at Amherst, coaching just some, some highly intelligent individuals that offer an awful lot in terms of the uh, the progress of our program. So definitely you know want to need their input. Um, and and that being an overall theme at, at Haverford, it seemed like a, you know an ideal spot to kind of I, I guess kind of nurture my my style of mentorship. And then uh, I guess one of the you know the last pieces here, um, again another another personal reason is that uh, a lot of schools. Most schools talk about diversity and, and, and talk about you know making a concerted effort to go out and, and make their campuses look um, more like the world in terms of ethnicity, in terms of um, uh, socioeconomic uh, you know uh, you know makeup, in terms of uh, being you know being a, a first generation student in, in, in many cases. Uh, again, it's this is it's kind of the you know it's it's kind of the you know the, the buzz topic right now, so to speak. But when we look at Haverford and and its practices, it's it. Really Really is a place that it's it doesn't just you know say these things in theory it, it actually you know puts it to practice that was important to me because you know in the lacrosse world it's uh, you know a, a constant theme with us you know, we want to grow the game grow the game grow the game but when you ask the average Joe what what are your thoughts on lacrosse oh well, that's that's a sport primarily for Caucasians in the Northeast that are affluent and that is a description that that we are that you know that many of us are working hard to change and um, it, it's it's not not easy work. It's it's really about making folks understand that as much as we want to grow lacrosse and as much as it is growing, it, it's not going to take that next step until we really work hard to very deliberately diversify uh, our, our game. And I think by you know Haverford, you know coming to Haverford, an institution like this, it's going to give me an opportunity to to, to help others gain access, uh, regardless of their background or or, or their, their makeup. And again, Haverford's an institution that is that uh, meets 100% of demonstrated need. So again, there's another barrier that's uh, that's really been kind of you know taken away by the policies you know created by the institution. So again, this is layered, and I've, I've rambled on forever, but it, there, a lot went into the decision to come here, and it, it certainly wasn't a decision made flippantly. I, I loved my time at. Amherst. It was uh, uh, coaching with Sean Woods, who's a, a mentor and a close friend. I've known him for you know <laughs> almost twenty years. Like he's um, he's family. So uh, you know to leave him and to leave again the uh, the, the men on that team at uh, at Amherst was was a, a tough decision for sure. Uh, but it, it was also being in Hafford was a part of a a plan that really st- was kind of five or six years in the making, um, where you know we we really said that we would be better served and be in a better place to serve students um, at an institution. That's high academic that again really prioritizes student autonomy, really prioritizes outcomes and the overall student experience. You mentioned diversity. You are a rarity as a, a black man head coach in lacrosse. I think the last number I saw about 13 around 2020. Why do you think it is a sport that is so white? Is it access? Is it what do you, what would you say 
are the main reasons for that, and how much progress do you feel has been made in opening the sport to everyone? Yeah, absolutely, and, and access is probably the, the largest you know barrier, and uh, I think that lacrosse is a is, is again it's a niche sport, but it's also a very close knit community. Um, actually, before I kind of get into this, to, to kind of go back to, to the numbers uh, piece, that again in 2020, there you know about 13 black lacrosse coaches collegiately on, on the men's side. That number's decreased since then. Uh, we actually, you know, we have less that you know some have gotten out of the profession altogether. So it's it's troubling to see that that number is going kind of the wrong direction currently. But again, access you know to the sport being like the primary you know barrier for sure. But as I was saying, lacrosse is such a close knit community that there's just so much networking involved. And if you're not in the cer- a certain network, if you're not, if you don't have the right connections, the right mentors, it really is tough, you know, to make it in this sport for a long period of time, whether that be as a player or as a coach. But you know, very, very, you know, optimistic about the future of the game. When we talk about, um, especially on the player side, there's just there, there are so many groups out there and organizations that are working hard to grant access to folks of all of all walks of life. Um, organizations like like Harlem Lacrosse that have branches all over the place, including Philadelphia, um, City Lacks, uh, you know, Blacks Lacks, and the Blacksers blog is doing a great job in terms of just kind of, uh, you know, publicizing all the good work that's that's going on and, and, and some of the accomplishments of players. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, about things, you know, in, in terms of the direction it's going. But there's also seems to be a, a, a little bit of a, I guess, an endpoint in terms of where you can go with this if, if you are a minority. Because when you look at the coaching landscape, as we as we alluded to, um, that, that, that looks a certain way. <laughs> and, again, that goes back to my piece about being in the certain network and having certain connections. If if you get if you just if you're not able to make a phone call and and, and you know to a to a well established coach that that has many ties has a great reputation, it's it's really tough. Um, if you don't have a relationship with with a you know a certain you know group of coaches, it's it's very very tough to kind of take that next step in, in in your career. So, me personally, it's I think that from where I'm sitting now, I'm in a place where. I can certainly do my due diligence to make sure that you know we're getting the best players in that we possibly can, the best students in that we possibly can, but also taking a look at what else can you do for our campus, how else can you enrich um, our campus. But yes, I'm an institution now where we certainly have a chance to go out and uh, open more doors and create access into a place that, again, we talk about Haverford, just produces success and produces you know great leaders. And you know, on top of that, you know, from a coaching aspect, I think I'm also at a, a at a place where I can you know be more of a mentor uh, to those looking to, to get into this profession that, that want to know how to get it, gain access into some of those networks and want to know um, how to really uh, progress in this career so yeah a, a lot to unpack there for sure when you talk about the the responsibility of being you know one of the, the minorities coaching uh, at, at this level but it's it's, it's one that I feel that it, it, I guess it's a, it's a role that I that I take on. It's it's also one that I believe is kind of at the at the very I guess nature of the game of lacrosse. Like lacrosse, the, the story of lacrosse is about inclusivity. It's it's about everybody. This, this game is for everybody. This game was given to us, you know, by 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 the indigenous people. So it, it's really important to me that that we if we're going to say grow the game, that we actually you know you know have act or take actions to to do just that. And I believe that really starts with diversification. Have you felt as a black Coach and head coach, have you felt more pressure? Sure, yeah, sure. I mean, there's just, I, I guess, like the, the the safety net there is 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 a little bit thinner than, than maybe for for most. In that, I, there's immense pressure to make sure that that I present myself a certain way. 
I, I don't I don't generally wear shorts to uh, you know to, to work, even though it's you know I'm in, I'm in athletics. I can wear gym attire every day, but um, generally when you see me, I'm in, I'm in a pair of khakis when when I show up to work, um, because again I think it's important that if you know the, the president of the institution were to to drop by the office that they see me looking like I'm at. At, at my business, you know, at, at work, and because that's the way that I take it. So, um, yes, I, it's it, it's something that again, it's 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 maybe not a measure that I need to go, but it's a measure that I feel that I have to go. When we talk about going around to to, to various events and and, and coaching and showcases, um, I, I pride myself on giving a maximum effort, you know, to the uh, to the players there, regardless of their age, regardless of their ability. They paid money to be at that showcase. And they paid and they saw who was going to be coaching there, and they were probably excited to. See See, you know those, you know that list of schools that were going to be attending. I, and, and in that regards, and, and I don't dare compare myself to a professional athlete because, uh, again, it's, it's been a long time since I've been athletic. And and it, at my peak, um, you know, professional was not a word you you'd associate with, with my performances. But but I, I do compare what we do as coaches at these showcases to say the you know, a player in the NBA that's you know that's maybe like taking the night off, you know, um, um, you know, load management, right? It's well, what about that person that paid that you know all that. Money to come see you, and that was the one game that they could afford to come see. You know that, uh, um, you know that year, or maybe in a lifetime, and and you're over there resting. So when we show up to these showcases as, as college coaches, I don't know how many events you're doing during the course of the year. I don't, I don't know that that may be it for you. Um, this may be it may be make or break for you whether or not you're going to you know go through with with playing lacrosse or continue you know your your uh, your career. So I, I can't risk not showing up for you. I, I've, I've got to make sure that I'm enthusiastic. I have to make sure that that uh, that you're having fun because. Generally, if you're having fun, I'm having fun. Um, but uh, again, it, that's the pressure as well. In, in that, like, and generally, if these events that I go to, I, I am, you know, you know, one of the only, if not the only, black person there. I can't be the one that's like working less. That that wouldn't work out well. So there's some pressure there. Maybe some of it's you know just you know kind of internal, but. Regardless, it's, there is pressure. So what is your entry point to the game? What's your earliest lacrosse memory? How'd you get into it? Earliest lacrosse memory? Wow. I got <laughs> well, you know what? We talked a lot. Uh, we talked earlier about like visibility uh, being uh, an important piece. And, um, you know, coming in high school, like I was uh, I'm originally from Charlottesville, Virginia, well, actually born in Brooklyn, New York, but uh, raised in Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, Charlottesville, I think, is a kind of a unique pocket in that um, lacrosse is, even though it's you know, a southern, you know, southern city, but uh, lacrosse is taken very seriously there which is you know just rare you know for you know for that region and uh, of course being you know where, where UVA is located that gives access to a uh, you know, to that team and those players. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, in, uh, in middle school, again, this is well before I even was really thinking about lacrosse, um, I was friends with, uh, with with Kenny Arena, uh, Bruce Arena's son. So that gave me access to UVA and, and uh, Ball Boyd for some soccer games. And, and of course, that, you know, led me to watching, you know, some lacrosse games at, at UVA as well. And that's where I was kind of introduced to, to, to Dom Starja, uh, the, the longtime head coach uh, at, at UVA. And then I saw Tommy Smith, who is a, a black lacrosse player at UVA. UVA. I'd, I'd never seen a black lacrosse player. I'd seen lacrosse before, just being in that area, but I'd never seen a black lacrosse player until Tommy Smith. And he was a beast. And I mean, it was it was just it was so inspiring to watch him. I said, "Yeah, I, I, I've got to I've got to figure out how to play this thing." So my mom took me out to play it against sports. I I do remember my first stick. Don't, so I don't remember my first experience with lacrosse, but my first stick was a shotgun. Um, was uh, and, uh, I mean, this thing was it, it was a play it against sports type of, type of deal. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, it was it was to the point where you know my first couple of practices, one of my friends on the team said, you know, you know, Richard, you can't play with that anymore here, and just gave me a stick because it was, you know, it was a it was a little bit uh, a little bit embarrassing, but I, I didn't know any better, and I was just having fun. So again, I, I don't know if. I'm here sitting with you today if I don't see Tommy Smith, you know, playing lacrosse at the University of Virginia. How long did it take you to really fall in love with playing the sport? Like when you realized you're pretty good at it and you had the access and everything, but do you remember when you were like, this has to be a part of my life as long as it can be? Well, I'll tell you that my love for the game came long before I was even remotely a decent player. So uh, um, I went a lot of years, you know, being, you know, okay, we'll, we'll take you, you know, being, being, being that guy. So I'm very appreciative to some to some folks that gave me a shot. But I think lacrosse is a game that it's it's easy to fall in love with. And when you talk about the speed of the game when it's played at the right, you know, played the right way, in my opinion, the creativity um, that comes, you know, from the game, um, the physicality, like these are all things that when we talk about American sports is what people are looking for so again lacrosse is is right there in terms of being a sport that can be highly popular um you can see the growth around the world as well we're just coming off the, the world games it was you know so inspiring to see so many nations out there uh competing but again it's it's not going to take that next step until we really work to diversify it as well so describe your game you went on to play at college you know how would you scout yourself as a lacrosse player, sketchy, sketchy stick skills at best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, catching and throwing was not was not my was not my thing. Um, I, I will say that like I was I was blessed with with some speed, um, uh, and and generally I was the fastest fastest guy on the field. So that kind of helped me get out of some situations and evade some situations that that quite frankly my my stick skills could not uh, could not handle. But again, to kind of scout myself, this is, this is tough. <laughs> but uh, I was a defensive player, so. Um, I think that I played with a decent amount of physicality, but um, I also I've put on you know quite a bit of weight since college too. I think uh, at my peak in college I was probably about uh, about uh, two hundred, and but again I'm only five eight, so uh, so built kind of like a like a juice box, about as wide as I am tall. But uh, I think when I, my freshman year in college I was actually I came in weighing at one hundred forty pounds, so put on an awful lot of weight during the college years to try to like I guess make my physicality mean something because as a, as a freshman it really you know, it was, it was like a, you know, you know, kind of swatting a mosquito away from you. But uh, by senior year, I, I would hope that I was able to do some things that with with my physical presence. I think probably, I guess, if I had to kind of wrap it up in a nutshell, my playing style it would be similar to my coaching style in that it's intense. I'm very passionate about this. I, I care a lot about it, and I'm not afraid to show it. So whether it's playing or whether it's coaching, there's not going to be too many quiet moments, so to speak. So you went to Mars Hill University. That's down in in North Carolina. As you're playing, do you always figure coaching is going to figure into the equation at some point? You know, as your college career is winding down, are you thinking I'm going to coach or? Was coaching not something that entered the lexicon until it entered the lexicon? Uh, you no, know, I, I had no idea. It wasn't it wasn't the, the the career path at all. I actually uh, actually wanted to do what you're doing. You know, you know, right now, I wanted to go into to, to broadcasting, broadcasting, or some form of journalism. But <laughs> I, I, as you can clearly tell by my presentation here, this uh, broadcasting probably is not the way that, that I needed to go. Um, but uh, coming out of college, uh, actually went back to, back home for uh, for a year and uh, substitute teaching um, as I. Kind of figure out, you know, navigated some career, you know, some career options, and you know, my my high school coach, uh, you know, Scott Neese, who was a uh, uh, graduate of, of Washington and Lee University, he invited me to come back and uh, and help out the team. Um, so I took him up on that offer, and um, 
been coaching ever since. Uh, but I, I really fell in love with it at, at that time. And, and you know, when I kind of took this career path, people that are close to me, friends, family, nobody was surprised. <laughs> they, they said, well, well, you know, Richard, you've been coaching since, you know, since middle school. Like, whether it be basketball, soccer, whatever the sport was. Like, um, you know, I was a wrestler in high school as well. Like, I just... I've always kind of taken on that role of, of being like a coach or or being kind of like that, you know, that right hand man to, to a coach. And I've just kind of always kind of seen the game from that perspective. And, and maybe that's because of lack of ability. I know what they say, you know, those who can't do coach. Well, that, that would be pretty accurate with me. One of the things that's interesting to me about your resume from a coaching standpoint is you mentioned earlier You'd been at Chestnut Hill, and you started things at Chestnut Hill. And that's one of a couple places Mm -hmm. where you've come in and basically been given the keys and saying, we want you to build lacrosse, have fun. What is that process like when you come into a place? Is it sometimes almost, on one hand, easier because you get to set the tone and, and set what's important? But I guess on the other hand... It would be nice to have some infrastructure in place so that you're not the first person calling the bus company, not the first person calling the, the hotel company to like set things up. You know, what was that experience like being asked to, to begin a program multiple times? It's great. Uh, and I think that there, there are pros and cons with any situation, right? And to kind of go back a, a bit. When we talk about you know tr- uh, you know coaches uh, you know minority coaches trying to to break into this profession, that's another piece that's really kind of like it's not talked about enough. In that when you look at my uh, minority coaches, black coaches specifically, the percentage of us that have had to start programs from scratch as opposed to taking over established programs, you know, exponentially higher than, you know, our, our Caucasian counterparts. Not to say that like, oh, well, you got to start a program from scratch. That's all negative. It's, it's certainly not. But when you talk about that process, you're going to take some lumps, um, especially if you're doing so in a competitive league. And when you go and look at some next opportunities or, or progress in your career, you know, one of the first things that any athletic director is going to look at is, is the win-loss record. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it, it makes it Again, another hurdle to try to get over in terms of like, again, progressing in in this profession. So I think that's something that's not talked about enough, and it needs to be, you know, I guess it it needs to be, you know, brought to you know to the to the forefront in terms of uh, you know some some hiring practices. But regardless, there again, there are some positives when we talk about you know starting a program from scratch and that. You're not having to reset or retool a, uh, a culture. It's, it's, it's the one that, that you build. You can decide based off of the recruiting that you're doing what type of style you know, that, that you really want to play. And in certain regions, um, you know, more so in, you know, in, in the places where lacrosse you know, isn't as prevalent, Sometimes you, you run into an athletic director or, or an administration that they just don't know much about the game, so they rely on you heavily to tell them. Um, and in that case, in some in some cases, it, it could be it could be an advantage in that, like, okay, they're going to trust my word, so I won't have a lot of fight back in terms of, of putting some things in place that we need. But the flip side of that is that if you don't have somebody that understands the game of lacrosse and our needs, and you know, is typically you know gets directs with more of a authoritarian authoritarian style, like it's it's going to be a little bit challenging in terms of of getting a things that you need uh, to, to be productive as a, as, a, as a lacrosse program. I've, I've been fortunate enough in my career where I've, I've had it, you know, a little bit of both, right? I've had some places where I've got to fight tooth and nail just to get a lacrosse ball, and I have some places that I've been some places where they'll do anything to help you, anything to, to make sure that the, uh, the student-athletes are having a great experience. So it's, it's, it's been interesting, but, but certainly it's, it's a case that, again, I've done it twice, and I'm glad I've gone through that experience, but it's not something that we as, as minority coaches should have to do in order to get our foot into the door. That being said, do you think it made you a better coach 
just because that soup to nuts where you have to be responsible for everything. And I'm sure it's exhausting. But when you get a job now at Haverford where the infrastructure is in place, but you have an appreciation for what goes into everything that makes a successful program. Yeah, there's no question. Um, there's no job in, in this profession that I can't do or have not done at some point in my career. So, yeah, there, there's again, there, there's some definite advantages to um, you know to having that. I guess that that on my resume, I do feel like, and this is again, it feels awful to say, but I feel like I am an expert at my profession because again, there's just no facet of of it that I, I haven't done at some point. And, and I think that as a coach, you really need that. Like we, we talk about or we ask our players to have, you know find solutions to problems. And as a coach, that, that's really our profession. You, you better be a career problem solver. Um, and if you're not, you're, you're probably not going to be in it, you know, the profession very long. So I feel that certainly, you know, my, my problem solving skills were strengthened by uh, situations in which I had to build and had to create because there was nothing there. We need to take a break. We will have more with Richard Carrington right after this. This is one-on-one. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with new Haverford College head men's lacrosse coach, Richard Carrington. How long did it take you as a coach to feel like you were good at it? And I don't necessarily mean wins and losses, but you had your arms around what the job entailed, what you had to do, what you had to pour in to achieve success, to have an impact on the kids. Did it take a few years for you to kind of appreciate all that went into coaching? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and they they say this all the time, like you you don't know until you know, but like being a first-time head coach at at Chestnut Hill, um, you know, years ago, I I felt really prepared going into that job. I had, uh, you know, I'd worked for, um, you know, Sean Woods, who was also my head coach at uh, at Amherst College, um, and, and he gave me an awful lot of autonomy, and I just... I figured a lot of things out and, and was able to kind of like have my hand in a lot of parts of the of the program because uh you know because he gave me that uh, you know that ability and when I you know went to Chestnut Hill I felt like well there's not too much that that I don't know and and that was a rude awakening because there was a ton that I didn't know um and uh, and again until you really go through the process like I I don't know that you ever really quite feel that you have your you know your 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 arms around the situation and um like as far as again like knowing whether or not like that I'm uh, on the right track or, or certainly like I guess productive as as a coach that changes from game to game because there, there's some games I'll come I'll come away like wow like we, we, we really coached them up that game and there's some games like oh my god I'm the worst coach in the world it really does change from game to game so uh, that's that's a, that's a very fluid piece but as far as like I guess feeling I have a good handle on 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 the profession and what it takes. Yeah, I, f- I feel confident in that and I I've, I've felt that way. I guess probably since that that first situation at Chestnut Hill. How do you measure success By, in general? Well, in in general, I guess the easiest thing I can tell you is are my former players checking in on me and uh, you know, are are we are there still some relationships there? You know, am I being invited to weddings? That's that's how I measure it because if these these, you know, men graduate and I didn't. I wasn't very impactful in their lives, or, or they just you know didn't have any appreciation or, or, or love for me. Then, then I'm doing something drastically wrong, and it, and it's time to change something. But like that's that's an important piece, and if if that element's not there, then I don't care how many trophies you can hold up, it's not success in, in my opinion. And, and of course, championships help and things of that nature. But like that's if, if you're doing this for championships and 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 for the wins primarily, you're going to have a short-lived career. We talked earlier about, as one of the few black coaches, if there's pressure, and then you also talked about you know, going to UVA and seeing 
Tommy Smith and the impact that had on you seeing somebody that looked like you. On the other end of that, or not other end, but do you go day-to-day thinking about that a, a young black kid might see you as a head coach and that you are inspiring them simply by doing what you do? And I would imagine that could be a little emotional, a little overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 always at the forefront of my mind. I'll, I mean, it's I'll tell you, like, I, I, I coach, in my opinion, I coach with a lot of juice. I take pride in it. And nothing gets me like more fired up or, or nothing or nothing fills my tank more than when I have a young black player or it could, it could be a, a parent of, a, you know, of a black player that will come up to me you know, during an event and just and, and, and thank me just just for being there. I, I can't. It's, it's overwhelming. And it, it's it's a it's a humble reminder of the responsibility of, of, of being one of the few you know, black coaches uh, in, you know, in in this, uh, you know, collegially. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's absolutely something I think about a lot. And it's, again, another reason why I I feel the, the pressure of, of being able to, you know, I guess, carry myself a certain way at these events. But it's also one in, in which, like, there's just there's there's no feeling like knowing that maybe I can do what Tommy Smith did for me. When you distill the sport of lacrosse down, what is your favorite part of it? Wow. I mean, the actual sport, nothing around just the game itself. What is your absolute favorite part of it the emotion yes it's true of a lot of sports but uh but i think in lacrosse in particular you can't tell me that you that you love sports and then you go and to a to a, a final four of lacrosse and say you know that was boring you know that's the the emotion that that and and the intensity of the games especially the big games the the i guess the the um the dramatics that happen during the course of a game like it's it's just there's no feeling like it, and yeah, there's so many elements that I love about the game, um, the story of lacrosse, uh, the strategy that goes into it. But when it all comes down to everything else, like it's it's really about like playing in games, and, and and really if you're doing it the right way in practices as well, like there's so much passion involved in it. Like it's 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 a, really easy to have fun. What are your goals to start at Haverford? And we were talking off the air. You're just getting settled in, and I'm not asking you where are the strengths on the team or whatever. But what are the things the, the, the things that you want to impress immediately that Haverford Lacrosse is going to be all about on your watch? So I think immediately it's about collaboration because we have a lot of, of highly intelligent, opinionated young men on, on, on that team, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. And so it's important for them to understand that you know they, they have a head coach that is eager to hear their opinions eager to base our program and our culture around their vision. So there's not, do I have my own vision? Sure. But that's secondary. Like it's really about like coming up with a collective, um, a collective vision and, and carrying that out. So that's, that's going to be, you know, the, you know, one piece for sure, you know, the collaboration that is a, is a goal of mine. It already exists within the program, but I want to crank that up a notch in terms of like introducing committees within the team um, and, and giving, I guess, more avenues for for folks to like 
voice their opinion that aren't going to, I guess, for lack of better terms, like paralyze us out on the field. Because if, if we're constantly in debate, like how are we ever going to get anything done, right? But I think that we need to create opportunities throughout our time together where, you know, we certainly are debating and we are, um, you know, sharing ideas. And that's that's how we're going to move this program forward for sure. Another goal, and I'm still kind of wrapping my, my head around exactly how I want to verbalize it. But I think that this this group of men they've they've been very results driven and, and I think you know a lot of folks you know are, are, are results driven right we, we we work in or we live in that kind of society and again in our profession if everything is going to be based off of wins and losses it makes for a very very difficult season winning is important for sure but if you take a loss that maybe you thought that you should not have taken I, I, throughout my career I've seen so many people take a loss and quit. They're just, and I'm not talking about like leave the team, but just like, just they they lose a lot of confidence in themselves, and they lose a lot of confidence in the teams because of that one loss. Like one loss, two losses, three losses is not going to make your season. It's about can we get better every single day? Can we find a way to incrementally get better throughout the season? Because of it, in those cases where that's where the focus lies, that's the goal to just make sure we're getting finding a way to get better every day. Generally, in, in my experience, winning takes care of itself. Like you're, you're going to find that success, you know, towards the end of the season. Uh, one of my favorite years as as a coach was uh, was coming off of, of probably my worst season as as a coach. But um, in uh, I guess this was 20, uh, 2019 at Tusculum, we had an extremely young team. Uh, that team was younger than than um, than our inaugural team at, at Tusculum. So we had some transfers for that inaugural team. But yeah, so this this team in, in twenty nineteen was just they were. There were a lot of a lot of bright eyes and bushy tails, but uh, they they just you know a young young group. And what they did was they committed to that that mindset of we're just going to get better every single day. Yep, we took that loss. That's a tough loss to take. We shouldn't have taken that one, but that's okay. Let's we got to show up the next day. And what was so rewarding with that group was when we got to the end of the season, it was literally a make or break game versus uh, versus Catawba. Um, at the time, Catawba was 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 ranked nationally, and also at the time uh, Tusculum had never beaten a nationally ranked opponent. And and no one no one thought we were going to win the game. As a matter of fact, they were the conference was talking about potentially even canceling the game because our field was flooded, um, and, and you know it was not playable. Um, and and you know we I guess that there was something going on at Catawba where you know, it was going to be tough for us to try to play out there. So we ended up having to play at another institution, uh, which isn't easy to do when you talk about that region. But we go out there and a game that almost didn't happen, and the guys show up and they compete. And I mean, it was an incredible game. It was like a double overtime game. In the uh, in one of the overtimes, we commit a penalty, so we go man down. You could see some of the guys start to slip, but then you could also see their teammates pick them back up. Like, no, we just keep going. We keep believing because that's that's just what they were doing all the all, the whole year. And, and we end up winning that ball game and, and, and getting into the conference tournament um, you know, with a team that really had no business being there. So I want to make sure that we have that mentality here with Hartford as well. That like we're not defined by one or two losses. Let's Let's focus on getting better incrementally every single day, and, and and let's focus on having some fun. When it comes to driving the competitiveness in you, is it driven more by a love of winning or a hatred of losing? That's a great question. Um, I, and, and I don't know. It's, it's one. It's probably been asked to me a million times, but at the same time, it's, I probably have given <laughs> to, <laughs> to a million different answers. I don't. I don't. It doesn't have to be either or. Not necessarily. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's a little bit of both. But I'll tell you what, uh, what supersedes both, you know, the hatred of losing and the, uh, you know, the love of winning. It's my love and enthusiasm for this game. That's what drives success more than anything for me. 
I think when you look at the the love of winning, yeah, like if if you can't find time to like celebrate with your team and like you know do a little some dancing in the locker room and you know on, on the road trips jump on and uh, to the the karaoke and do some bus karaoke with the boys like this again you're not going to last in this profession very long and at the same time you know with the losses yeah it's it's really tough like and, and I've gone through phases in my career where like it's there were times like after losses like you're not going to see me for a while like I'm I'm going to be locked in a room from you know and and in my office probably and like rewatching the game over and over again like trying to figure things out and it's not healthy so I, I think that you know as you mature you 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 figure out better ways of doing things otherwise again you're not you're not going to not going to make it very long um but like I think that that hatred of losing that has to be done in in a way that it doesn't destroy you like it, it, it yeah you take your lumps and 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 you can you can I'll, I'll allow myself to complain for about 20 minutes after a game and then it's it's on to the next what has it been like just big picture to see the explosion in lacrosse during your lifetime because 30 years ago it was hard to find lacrosse on tv it was hard mm-hmm. to if you weren't in a hotbed that had a big time college program or whatever you very well may not have been exp- now it's it's everywhere really and right. it's easy to find you see it on tv when you're just flipping channels what's it just been like to see the sport explode i mean it's exciting and it's it's really it's really you know good to see but i'm not surprised like as we talked about earlier like it's this is a really exciting game like it's a, it's a game that's easy to fall in love with now we don't make it easy with all the rule changes that, that happen from year to year but but I, I i i'm not surprised with the growth of the game probably you know uh, you know conversely I, i'm surprised it's not bigger by now um but again i think that in order that for that to happen, we have to you know grant access to more people. And to that point, that was going to be my next question. If you were king of the world, if you had the ability, you talked about some of the great organizations earlier that are doing to open doors for, for blacks and other minorities in the game. Are there things that you would like to see you think that would really help accelerate that growth in minority communities and maybe places that just aren't familiar with it or places that Maybe there's there's people there that want to play but just don't have a route to get there. Like, what were some things you would like to see to to grow the game in that way? Absolutely, I think that probably the two biggest things on on, on different fronts. One, when we talk about the, the coaching profession, we need to, I guess, get out of our comfort zone as coaches and not always resort to like our network when it comes to like hiring, um, you know, hiring coaches. Like it's it's okay to open jobs up and see what else is out there, uh, because you, you may get some resumes across your desk that that really get, excite you. And, and I think that if we consistently rely just on our networks and just through people we know, we're probably leaving out a pretty you know big uh, big portion of the population. So um, that's that's on you know kind of the coaching front. Probably what's more important on the uh, you know on on the playing front. We have got to find a way to lower the cost of lacrosse. I've said now for years, like the company that figures out like how to make a really good product and sell it at a reasonable cost. And I'm I'm talking about like where entry to the game doesn't cost you more than 10 bucks. Like somebody that can put together a a complete, you know, youth player pack that's decent. Like like it's, you know, you know, high quality for like, you know, 10 bucks, maybe 15 bucks. That company like is is maybe it's going to lose money at first for sure, but like that company is going to be is going to be one that like that, that's the eighteen year old nineteen year old lacrosse player. Like, no, I'm I'm playing with that piece of equipment because that's what I've always played with. It's that's that's what I'm used to. That's what I love. But but yeah, it's it's just it's way too expensive to gain access into the game right now. So we we got to find a way to um, you know to, to lower the cost. And again, there there are organizations out there that are that are doing that by you know by donating sticks and 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 other pieces of equipment. Um, so and that's that's great, but again, I think it's you know 
when will the companies kind of take the next step? And that also kind of bleeds into the way that you have to kind of progress in lacrosse in terms of trying to get into, uh, uh, you know, some of these collegiate programs in that most of us as college coaches recruit at, at tournaments or, 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 or events that cost <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. thousands of dollars to attend. Right. Um, when you when you factor in travel and, and lodging and food, and then of course like you know team fees, it's, it's a it's a lie. I'll, I'll tell you that if if this was the lacrosse landscape when I was growing up, where you had to pay this much a certain amount of money to be a part of club teams and be, um, you know, and and, and you know and, and go to do all these events, like I, there's no way that I'd have been a college lacrosse player. It just would have been you know no shot for me to do that. So um, that's again just. The the, call, the overall cost of the game, and again, like you know, breaking down um, our, our reliance on, on using our networks. Richard Carrington, this was great. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, Matt, thank you. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank New Haverford College head men's lacrosse coach Richard Carrington for coming in studio and being our guest this week. If you like the show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next time when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.